Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week, coming to us live from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is Michael Levy. He's the author of 17 inspirational books, a mystical poet, an inspirational philosopher, and a wellness and healthy living speaker. You can find Michael online at www.pointoflife.com. And I hope you enjoy today's interview because we've already been talking a little bit beforehand, and he is awesome, and I'm very excited to speak with him. So without further ado, Mike, how's it going? How everything is as it should be. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, we have three standard questions that we ask every guest at the very beginning, so I will just ask those and get them out of the way. Uh, the first is, how old are you? The second is, where did you grow up? And the third is, what generation, if any, do you feel you belong to? Well, I, um, I'm 77. I was 77 in March, the beginning of March, so I'm just a young 77. I grew up in Manchester, England, at the end, just not just towards the end of the Second World War, most things were in Russian. I lived in a corner row house for 19 years with no bath in it, an outside toilet, which was my palace. I started my own business at 19 and progressed into a wholesale corporation and retired at 46. And what generation I belong to? I belong to the infinite generation. <laughs> Great answer. I've never heard that and I love it. And I guess just before we get into the metaphysical part of the interview, uh, how long have you been in America for and what was your purpose in coming here or versus leaving England either or? Well, I never made plans. Life led me and I've always been able to follow a certain stream and I never ever knew what that was. So as I was running my corporation, which is a textile corporation, I've been in the stock market 50 years successfully and also commercial property. I got to the stage where I thought needs to be changed, and a friend told me that the, his, his brother-in-law came out to Fort Lauderdale. So in 87, I came out to Fort Lauderdale, looked around, thought, this looks nice, and we came the following year, and by 92, we came out full-time. Not knowing really why, but I took six years of time out, sat on the balcony, looked up to the heavens, asked question after question, infinite amounts of questions. And after six years, one day I woke up and just started scribbling them down. I've never been a writer. I was never a poet back in England. I left school at 16. I've read no books. So it's very different what I write about. Really interesting. And so what's the title of the very first thing you published? The very first book was called What is the Point? <laughs> and that actually became a very good seller. It was... Um, and all the local bookstores used to went through 30 or 40 a month. Those bookstores are closed down now. And even Borders has closed down. So a lot of the private bookstores have gone. And today it's more Amazon. So it was a different ball game in those days. Now things have progressed and it's digital. It's print on demand. So the books are easier actually to produce. And um, it's easier for any writer to put down whatever they need to put down. And I encourage anybody who's got, everybody's got a story. So I'd encourage every person to look back in their life as they age and maybe put the life story down 
to help other people. If they be led That's very good life. advice. And uh, I'm curious. A lot of people feel like they have a book in them and they're always like too afraid to write. Um, what is your actual advice to young aspiring writers? The fact for any person, creative person, whether they're into mu music, whether they're into writing, whether they're into art, is the very first word you write, you are a success. You actually start to write. and You've already a success. Doesn't matter if you sell books or you don't sell books. Doesn't matter if people like them or don't like them. You don't take a praise or an insult. Both are imposters. And if you understand that they're both imposters, you don't get involved emotionally. You just do your craft, you do your creativity, and enjoy every moment of it. If you're going to endure it, then you shouldn't be doing it. You're not going to do creative work. All creative work has to come from a sense of joy. That's profound and excellent advice as someone who does creative work and often questions it for the very reasons you just explained. One should either stop or continue. So that's that hits home very hard in a very good way. What um, Moving up the metaphysical ladder, do you believe that there's an inherent like meaning to existence here? Do, do you feel like there's any profound greater meaning? Like So if a writer or a person is creative in any context, there's something profound to that? Or do you think something different? Well, life, if we want to intellectualize our life, we'll never find truth. Because the intellect doesn't know what truth is. Truth isn't part of an intellectual world or an academic world. That's knowledge. And knowledge is a tool. It's not truth. It's not intelligence. And it's not wisdom. Wisdom, intelligence, and truth can guide our intellect can guide our role plays, can guide our egos, can guide our life to live very successfully. However, if we become educated and think that that education can overtake the three dimensions that I've just mentioned, then we're going to be struggling throughout our life. We'll be going continually looking for perfection. And perfection in the physical world does not exist. Perfection in the metaphysical world is the metaphysical world. It's pure perfection. There's nothing but perfection in it. And if we allow the truth within that to guide us, and that's been around forever. It created the universe. It created the Big Bang. It created the Earth. It created everything we were doing. And this conversation we're having now took place 14 billion years ago. It's just the fact it's taken 14 billion years to manifest itself for you to contact me and for us to have this conversation. But there's no coincidences in it. It's all part of what you call the karmic plan, the plan of creativity and destruction. And everything is created and then it'll always be destroyed because the energy comes in one form, then it reverses back to the form. So life and death is continually in the same ball game. They live side by side. There's no division. We're dead now. In fact, a lot of people are be living dead because they're living by ego. But when I'm saying living dead now, I'm talking about metaphysically and not physically. We're physically alive. But the life and death cycle is difficult to explain in the short time that we've got. But I've got a poem that maybe 
can explain it in clearer terms, and people can play this interview back a few times, because it is um, a poem that requires understanding. So can I recite this poem? Oh, yeah, I would love for you to recite it. Real quick, is it your poem, or is it someone else's poem? No, it's my poem. Oh, yes, please read your poem. I would love it. And I'm, I am going to assume that this is the answer to the only other question we always ask, which is what happens when you die? And if it's not, I'll have you elaborate. But please read the poem first. Well, actually, actually it does answer that. So I was preempted what you're going to say. It comes from the books. The book is Soul Up on Inspirational Poetry. I wrote the book. There's 75 poems in it, all very meaningful. And this is The Stars Are Always Shining. Stars are always shining, but it takes the cloak of darkness before their brilliance can be seen. Joy and sorrow are two opposites. Life and death, seemingly, are likewise. But many times, things are not always as they seem. You see, death is always present, even in life. The light of the living hides the darkness of death. But it is always present, always here. Where there is silence, where there is darkness, when all thought is resting, death can be experienced in life. It contains but true, two true feelings, love and joy. Life and death, love and joy. Never can they be separated, for both are one, infinitely, eternally enmeshed. In the authentic essence of all things, seen and unseen, in the known and unknown, love and joy transcends time and space, and the stars are always shining. I loved it. I, if we had an audience, I'm sure there would be a loud applause right now. Um, I don't want to ask you to unpack that because I think that it's more interesting for listeners to be able to do it themselves, but I would like to know how you would answer a skeptic because I am not a skeptic and I'm all aboard <laughs> everything you've been saying so far. But what would you say to someone who said, on what authority and how do you know these things you know? Well, I would say to the skeptic, find out for yourself. It's not for me to tell you, if you want to be skeptic, enjoy your skepticism. If that makes you happy, then live a life of skepticism. If you get full joy from that, live it. It's not for me to change anybody's viewpoint. Why should I want to try and... That's why I've never advertised or ever... Advertise, uh, um, use PR to sell books. People say you could sell, you know, we've read them, say these should be bestsellers. They should be on all the bestselling lists. Why? I had a chance, PBS contacted me and they wanted me to go on PBS. I told them the way I wanted to do it and they wouldn't allow me to do it the way, the natural way of doing it. They wanted it all rehearsed and they wanted to know what was going on. And I just, like I said, life isn't a rehearsal. I'm not going to do a television show coerced and rehearsed like they all are today. There's no truth in that. When we live truth, it means we're being guided. And there's a, there's a requirement for the skeptic, for the non-skeptic, and for everybody. And especially for me, and the realization for me. And what it is, throughout my life, I've always been called stupid. And I understand that stupidity is inherent in all human beings. It's only after an event that people realize They've done a stupid thing. They might think they're very brilliant, they're very clever, they've got all the degrees. People that invested their money with Madoff were all brilliant people, all earned a lot of money. Only afterwards, 
did he find out it was stupid? People who had the collateralized notes and the meltdown, all the bankers, all those clever people, found out later it was stupid with the home market in 2008. So if we find out beforehand that was stupid and we need guidance and we need the guidance of truth wisdom and love there's an excellent chance if ego doesn't interfere that you'll get a brilliant result and at the end of the day results will speak for themselves so if the skeptic wants to live in total love and joy 24 7 365 and they can do that by being skeptical then i would say go for it but if they can't do it by being skeptical and they need some guidance to be able to do that, and it's doable, most people will say it's impossible to live in joy 24-7, 365. And I would say it's impossible not to live in joy 24-7, 365. Because it's part of the reason why we exist, why we're human beings. We're not put on earth to suffer. Now, circumstances, people say, what happens when people get cancer? What happens what's going on in Ukraine? What happens with COVID? These are events that have been going on from the beginning of time. If we understood what all our ancestors had to go through from the beginning of time, and they managed to get through it all and get us to where we are today, because if any of those ancestors took the wrong turning, we would not be the person, the human being that we are today. But we come from a long line of ancestors that managed to get us where we are. And we have to have great gratitude to those people. So with that inside of us too, another reason why we should be living in love and joy. So that we can have all those people within us. It's in ourselves. It's in our bloodstream. We can allow all those people and all the souls within us to live alongside us. So we're not wasting our existence. And it's not selfish to live in love and joy. Now the circumstances can distract us. We can be sick and we can be ailing. But I've seen people, I know a guy here who lives in Arcando. He's had cerebral palsy from birth. He's been in a wheelchair. He's, he's 60 years of age now. I've never known him one moment to say not that he was in everything that's perfect. Everything's fantastic. Everything is great. Um, that's somebody who's never been able to walk. He looks in life that life is a pure joy for him. And I'm not indoctrinated him with anything. It's how he's been all his life. And I've met so many people along the path of life who should be all miserable. I grew up in squalid life back in England, but nothing took the joy away. I was able to go out on the street and play cricket and soccer and enjoy life to the full. And I've always been able to. And it's only when I got to the States, I just wanted to find out how it was possible, how this stupid lad was able to retire so young and was able to write these, eventually to write the books. But I wanted to find out, how, how does this all work? And I'm, I was very skeptical, believe me. There's nobody more skeptical than me about the metaphysical and all the other stuff about it and psychics and all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of fakes out there, no question. And they're the ones that give it all a bad reputation, unfortunately. But there's a truth within it all. And if you're willing to take the journey of self-discovery and your ego will keep interfering with it and keep trying to distract you from it. But if you're willing to do that, a book I would recommend is Cutting Truths. 
that it was done in 2010. I wrote it in 2010. And that book has 50 slices of life in it. And each essay needs to be read just one a day. And that can be read over and over. The, the book will open the door for the person. The book will open the door for them to find who they are once they pass that door. But they have to walk inside and through that door themselves. I can't go in that door with them. I can only help them to tell them what they're not. And that's what my books actually do. We're beings and we're doers. We come in as a human being and we do stuff. So to do the right stuff and to get the right results, we need to do it from the guidance that is real. It's the most real thing that I've ever understood. And if it's all baloney, what I'm saying, and if it's all nonsense then it sure works and it sure gives you a great life. So, yeah, I mean, I you talked earlier about love and joy, so I just wanted to ask you, what exactly does love and joy mean to you? Can you define that for our audience? Well, it, joy isn't happiness. Let's get on one thing stood very clearly. Happiness is derived from our human life and for the things we can buy, from the holidays we can take, and the fleeting. That's happiness. A relationship, happiness. It's... Um, parent happiness, a couple's happiness, love truly is eternal. But the connection on the physical side of the joy of that becomes eternal too. So what it is, the physical part of the happiness is transigent and it goes when a person dies. But the joy means just obey yourself and the true self is the being not the doer so if you live as the being not the human being but the being that infiltrates into the human being when the first cell is produced when the sperm hits the egg and the first cell is produced then that creative form starts the joy process the soul is infiltrating into the cell, whatever name you would like to call it, and that energy has intelligence. And when we understand the intelligence that that has and the energy that that has, that is the truth of who we are. That's our true identity. And that energy can never disappear. Energy is eternal. You can't, it, can, it can change into many different forms, but it's eternal. And it has to contain intelligence so it can create something. Otherwise, there'd be no creativity in, the, in Earth at all. And we're maybe a unique planet, or maybe other planets like this out there. But the, the fact that the whole of that universe, and you look at all the billions and trillions of stars that are out there, can't be a coincidence. And your body itself is a miraculous 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 universe you've got trillions of molecules and cells all performing miracles every moment that we're alive and should that stop then the body disappears and the energy goes out of it that's all that happens the energy disappears so the actual vessel disintegrates into dust but the actual energy that create that, that created it that lived within it 
and goes to back to where it needs to be, that's the true identity of who we are. And I'm going to give you another name for it. You can call it God. Because God is, God is infinite energy. Well, and so uh, I guess the question I would want to know as someone who just turned 40 and is aware of what you speak of and certainly on a path to hopefully enabling it full time as you're expressing. So I'd be more curious from your life story at, at what age did you understand these concepts? And then at what age did you actually institute them into your own life and master them and have them start working so well for you? They worked well for me from popping out the womb. Never. This moment I popped out the womb, I got a smack on the bottom I had a cry for a moment, looked up and said, oh, world, this is a great world. No one's going to take the smile off my face. And nobody ever did. The teachers that gave me the strap in school, and they were a cruel lot, I said, can I have one more for good luck, please? My spirit my spirit overtook anything. One teacher was pulled me out by the ear, was going to give me the strap. So he had to sit down on his chair to open the bottom drawer to get the strap out. As he went to sit down, I instinctively kicked the, his chair away from him, and he fell on the backside. <laughs> I think eight-year-old kid doing that. So I sent to the headmaster's office, and I said the same thing to the headmaster. He gave me six of the best on my hand, and it was almost bleeding. I said, can I have one? There's tears going down my eyes. But I said, can I have one more for good luck, please? And I've always been that way. Somebody wants to mug me or shoot me, I said, go ahead and shoot me. Do you want to shoot me? Go and shoot me. I don't care. No bother whatsoever. And if you go through life like that, it takes the fear of death away, because there is no death. And I've always... I've been fearless throughout my life, so I didn't understand it while I was living it, though. If you ask me, did I understand it? Not at all. I've just been called stupid for living that way. People said, it's impossible to succeed in business the way you're doing it. And looking back, they were 100% correct. Intellectually, it was totally impossible <laughs> for me to succeed. But I was too stupid to understand it was impossible. So I actually succeeded. You see, when you're stupid, you don't take notice of the clever people. Stupidity isn't ignorance, and I was never, ever ignorant, because spirit isn't ignorant either. So if people want to call spirit stupid, they want to call it whatever name they want to put on it, let them call it. it sticks and stones don't may break my bones, but names can never hurt me. And names calling never did, and neither did sticks and stones either. So it's part of, I mean, there's so many people in history that reflect what I'm saying. Whether it was St. Francis of Assisi who flagellated himself because he wanted to be closer to Christ, or Jesus himself, or the, whatever religion you want to look into. And then you want to look into science like Carl Sagan or Einstein. All my books basically do is build a bridge between science and religion so that everybody can understand it. The greatest atheists in the world would probably get more out of it than the most dogmatic religious person. But people that can't change their views will never read my books anyway. Intellectual people who think they're right all the time will never go near my books. If they open one page of it, they couldn't read it. So the books are a challenge to any reader because what they're trying to do is strip that reader down of everything that they think they know and get them back down to nothing, back down to the baseline, so they can build up from there 
keep the memories, keep all the role plays that they're doing, but play them out from the being center, the pure center of what they are, and then all their doings will be incredible. So the question people need to ask themselves is, do I choose my thoughts or do the thoughts choose me? And most people are being indoctrinated by political parties, by the religion, and by whatever's going on, but not in a good way. So the, what they've done, they've divided themselves up from other human beings. And there's no saying, united we stand, divided we fall. And humanity is falling by the wayside and way on course for extinction. Very quickly, I think, whether it by heat, the things that we're polluting the earth with, or a nuclear holocaust, or whatever it is. And if it comes, hallelujah. We'll all go out singing together. It's no big deal. Something else will form, and uh, whatever it'll be, and maybe we might have another conversation in 6, 10, 20 billion years' time on another planet. But nothing can disappear. You can never disappear as energy and intelligence. That can never, ever, ever disappear. And if you identify yourself with it, and it's not easy, it's not an overnight job, takes time, patience, and kindness with yourself to start to nurture yourself back into the realm of where you need to be when you were first born. And then you can rebirth yourself on a daily basis and find the purity of who you really are and deal with everyday circumstances in the way that they're meant to be dealt with. Doesn't mean to say you don't have compassion and help for other people who are suffering. But it also means that you don't worry about it. You don't have anxiety about it. You don't have the fear about it. You don't have the anger about it. Because all those are wasted emotions, wasted in negative emotion, and they're all illusionary. It's not one negative emotion that is real. It's all part of the ego's world of the way it wants to dictate to us and enslave us into this little box of a cortex brain and where the thinking goes through. And it wants us to live our whole life through that little one thought process. And all the thoughts are fleeting. None of the thoughts that we have are us because it comes in and goes out. So how can you identify yourself with that little identity who doesn't know anything? It's just a dominant E-G-O. It eases God out. And it replaces it with something else. And the something else it creates is misery, heart, heart failures early on in life, and an earlier demise. Now, I'm 77. I take no medications. And I truly believe, through research, of eating the right types of food and changing the way you thought process works, which is 95% of the cause and effects that we have in life, you can really change your life around and become what you need to be and enjoy the rest of your existence. Because even if you live to be 100, it's only a blink. But if you're enjoying it all in the way that it's meant to be lived, then your time on earth hasn't been wasted. But if you come to the time when you know you're going to be leaving earth, and you're close to death, and you're moping over it, you're crying over it, you're, and all of a sudden you get a flash of light, and everybody will get this, 
and they'll say, why did they worry about this? Why did they have anxiety about that? Why was worried about money? Why was worried about this person who was insulting me? Why didn't I forgive that other person? I'm gone. Too late. Off the planet. Off you've gone. And those thoughts all disappear. They're in the universe floating about somewhere, but they're not localized. There's nothing in this physical body that we have, physically or mentally, that stays the test of time. If you're thinking you're going to come back in some kind of form of who you are, are you going to remember who you are? No. You've only got this fleeting time as a human being in this form. That's why it's so precious. If it was continual for millions of years, then it would have no value attached to it. But because it's so short, every single second is a precious gem. And that would bring me back to another poem if you want to... Uh, if you want, if you got time for it. Yeah, I mean, I was actually, we're up against the end of the episode, so that's probably the best way to end the episode is to just have you read a poem, and then I can just say the little blurb to exit it. But um, before you read the poem, is there anything you want to add just real quick? So, Well, the only thing is the website is pointoflife.com. Anybody that wants to follow through on it can do, and it's up to each person to monitor what they think they need to understand in their life. If you think it's all nonsense what I'm talking about, well, it is. It's all pure nonsense what I've been saying, every moment. But it might be one tad less nonsense than every other word or every other book that's ever been written or ever been spoken throughout the beginning of time. It might be one tad a little bit better than that. But everything is nonsense. If you're going to take it seriously, you're losing your life. Because as Voltaire said, don't take life seriously. Nobody gets out alive. I love it. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and let you read this poem, and then I'll just say goodbye to you and to our guests, and we'll call it a day. So thank you. Okie dokie, Mike. Thank you for having me on the show, and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. You do a wonderful job, you and your wife. You're helping other people to understand things. So you're doing wonderful work for other people. And this poem is called, Each Precious Moment. In the cool, damp haze of morning mist, powdered diamond lights sparkle on serene meadows. This unfamiliar spring day stretches and yawns. Vermilion dreams and crimson realities mingle in lucid complexions. Eyes slowly focus towards the open window of infinite opportunities. The world outside awakens to the milieu of songbirds serenade. Tranquil connections evacuate sacred blessings. Gentle breezes caress the cheek. A fresh horizon is born. Legions of new ideas await the golden enterprise of the day. Live each precious moment as a priceless treasured gem.
that was truly profound truly beautiful and i want to especially thank you for doing exactly what we asked which is you helped us put another nail in the coffin and what's interesting is i think you're all about putting nails in the coffin and then having people realize that the coffin is hilarious and the nails are unnecessary so i want to especially thank you for bringing levity and humor to a subject that many people think isn't funny but actually is so um, this was a very very fun interview for me so thank you again, Michael Levy. And to all of our listeners listening at home, the number one thing you can do to help us is just subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us a little further, go to MikeyUp.com and subscribe to the uh, essay that comes along with the podcast. And as always, please help support our guests. Um, we've mentioned his website twice on the episode. It'll also be in the liner notes. And for those of you tuning in every week, my name is Mike Oppenheim. This has been another episode of Coffin Talk, and we will see you soon. Peace.